Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Talking Hockey Sense. I'm Chris Peters. This is episode 78 of the podcast. So glad you could join me for it. It is a busy, busy, busy time of year. There is so much going on. We talked about it last week. We're going to talk about a lot of the same things this week, but now we actually have a little bit of extra to talk about because everything is happening, as we so discussed last week. So now we've got a little bit of data to share. We've got a little bit more uh, evaluations to share in terms of the Under-18 World Championship. We're going to get into all of it because we've got the Under-18 Worlds, we've got the USHL playoffs, we've got the ECHL playoffs, we've got a lot of different things that are involving NHL prospects, and we are going to talk about it today. But before we get into that, make sure that you are following this podcast in all the different ways that you can. If you're an audio person, certainly download it, subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. We're always uh, available there, and you can also leave a kind rating and review to help get the word out about the podcast, or you can watch us on YouTube and on flowhockey.tv, certainly the Flow Sports app, another great resource for you. And if you haven't yet already, make sure you are subscribed to Flow Hockey for all of the USHL playoffs and the ECHL playoffs, the Clark Cup for the USHL, the Kelly Cup for the ECHL, both on the line, both underway. And it is the best time of year. So make sure you are subscribed up for that because we have had a lot to watch in both of those postseasons so far. And we will cover some of that on today's show. But since we like to talk a lot about the NHL draft prospects and certainly the 2023 NHL draft has uh, some big time dates coming up here in the very near future, including on May 8th, the draft lottery will be held. And while we figure that'll let let us know where Connor Bedard is going with whoever gets the number one pick. After that, really, who knows? And some of that is going to get sorted out in the coming weeks. Uh, Adam Fantilli, who's the consensus, you know, number two, number three, number four, depends on who you ask, but usually number two, uh, certainly for me, he is going to the World Championship to play for Canada, which is a great, uh, great thing for them and a great thing for him as well to prepare for um, his NHL draft season. But the vast majority of NHL draft prospects that we can talk about right now are playing at the under 18 world championship in Switzerland. And, you know, it pains me not to be there among the snow capped mountains and everything else, but we've got a lot going on. So not there like I usually would be this time around, but uh, hopefully we'll get back there. But 
even so, you know, one of the reasons not to go is that we already knew that the U.S. is a very dominant team with the four NHL draft prospects that could go as high as the top 15, all four of them, um, and three of them are on one line. And as expected, they have been dominant to date. Team USA is 4-0. They are they have the number one seed as we're recording this. Um, so, you know, we will have, depending on when you listen to this, there could be a couple of games that have already happened. The quarterfinals are on Thursday, and then the gold medal will be handed out on Sunday, and we will have uh, a recap of the U18 Worlds next week. But while things are in progress, you know, the U.S. has done very well. Sweden has done very well, undefeated. They started their tournament with an 8 nothing win over Canada. We've seen flashes of, of really competitive flashes from both Slovakia and Czechia at this tournament as well. And then Canada has seemed to gotten it back, seemed to get it back on the rails after that drubbing to start the tournament from Sweden. So a lot of potential here, but the story of the tournament so far has been Team USA, and it has been the 2-4-9 line. That's number two, Will Smith, number four, Gabe Perot, and number nine, Ryan Leonard. Three players we've talked about a lot on this podcast, but they just keep giving us so much to talk about. And now they are dominating the under-18 World Championship in a way that, well, we just frankly haven't seen before. Now, you do have to keep in mind there is no Russia in this tournament. Team USA is in the weaker of the two brackets. They had both Norway and Latvia in the same bracket. So we kind of expected them to dominate, but they also dominated Team Finland, which was the most competitive game, and Team Switzerland, which is the tournament host. So Team USA rolling right now. As for those three players specifically, Will Smith and Gabe Perot each have 15 points so far to start the tournament. Ryan Leonard has 13 points. Those are your top three scorers in the tournament to date. Underager Cole Iserman, who is not draft eligible until 2024, is currently uh, in fourth in the tournament scoring, tied for fourth in tournament scoring with nine points, but leads the tournament with eight goals. So an incredible performance from the 16-year-old Cole Iserman as well. But if you've been seeing the headlines, and we have a story up on Flow Hockey as well about Gabe Perot, he has broken Austin Matthews' single-season record for points at the National Team Development Program. Now, the NTDP takes into account all the stats that a player compiles in their season because they have such a wide-ranging schedule. So every game that those players play is into the, the historic record of their statistics, and the same was true of Austin Matthews and players of years past. Austin Matthews had 117 points, of course, now a superstar, a number one overall draft pick. Um, you know, Jack Hughes had 116 points as a U17, so he was in that mix. Well, now Gabe Perot has surpassed that total. He has 129 points as we record this. So he is not only <laughs> he's not only broken the record, he has shattered it and then continues to build on top of it. And then also the other day, Will Smith also surpassed Austin Matthews. He now has 121 points. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think that's pretty incredible to see what both of those players have done. Um, they are both averaging 2.14 or higher. Uh, Smith has 2.14 points per game. And then Gabe Perot has 2.15 points per game. Both incredible highs for the National Team Development Program. And while Ryan Leonard doesn't have as many points as the other two. He does have almost 50 goals. He's on 49 goals after a hat trick against Switzerland. So we are talking about a line that is rewriting the record books at the National Team Development Program and also a, a group of players that is defying what we believe possible at the Under-18 World Championship. Now, 
I mentioned there, Smith and Perot are at 15 points and Leonard is at 13 points. They are all ahead of the pace that Nikita Kucherov had. And now Nikita Kucherov, of course, a Hart Trophy winner. Somebody, you know, he ended up as a second round draft pick even after this under 18 world championship performance. But he had 21 points at the 2011 world under 18 championship. These guys are on pace for 26. Uh, the top two guys are on pace for 26 points, which would be a single tournament record. They also have the chance to set the U.S. record, which was set by Jack Hughes in 2019. He had 20 points in that tournament. Absurd to think anybody could reach 20 or more points. We're talking about potentially 26 points if these guys are able to keep their point totals going in that direction over the last three games of the tournament. Now, they've got to beat Czechia in the quarterfinals to advance, and then they'll go to the semifinals in the bronze medal game. So if you win on Thursday, you're guaranteed two more games, and we'll see how much further these gentlemen can extend the record that they've already set, and then to see how much else happens. But you know, just we're talking about three guys that are 2023 draft eligible. I think you know we've talked a lot about how Perot is kind of behind all three of those players are the other two guys on his line in terms of the draft projections. I think the gap is narrowing because there's only a, a certain point where you have to say the production is the production. It can't get much better than that. And it really ha- it really would be hard to get much better than what Gabe Perot has done this season. So I think that, you know, we're going to see a lot of scouts start to move him up the list. The concerns are that, it, you know, his size is, is, is certainly below average about five eleven. Skating is below average for the NHL level, but the hockey intelligence, the hockey sense, the vision, the ability to finish plays. I mean, we talk about, you know, lots of guys can make plays. Gabe Perot not just makes them, he finishes those plays. He's got goal scoring ability. He's already up over, you know, up over 50. I believe he has 56 goals at the moment um, as we're recording this. And so, you know, he told me, sorry, it's 53. He told me, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and you can actually, we'll, we'll have some video features coming up on Flow Hockey. We already have one on Will Smith and, and, and Ryan Leonard, but our Gabe Perot one is coming. He told me his goal coming into the season was to hit 40 goals. Um, well, he's well past that, you know, and that was that was something that he just was kind of hoping he could hit. Uh, but to, to have over 50 goals, to have 120 plus points and uh, you know, almost 130 at this point, um, it, it just truly is remarkable. So we'll see Gabe Perot move up the list. Will Smith has been a guy that's been towards the top of the draft rankings for most of the season because he's really been impressive from the very beginning. Um, you know, did miss some games, which is why he's probably a little bit further behind the pace. Similar points per game to Gabe Perot, uh, but you you know, just incredible vision, incredible uh, poise, incredible puck handling ability. That is another big element for this for this player. He is going to continue to move up those charts. We think he'll probably land within the top, you know, five to six picks of this draft. It could be interesting to see, you know, where does he go relative to Matt Vimichkov, given all of the, you know, the Russian hysteria and certainly the the, the concerns over potentially drafting Michkov. You know, does Will Smith sneak into that top four? He was third by NHL Central Scouting. And then the guy that was also very high on NHL Central Scouting's rankings was Ryan Leonard, and Leonard has had a tremendous tournament with 13 points. I've talked to a number of scouts that you know would say, "Hey, you know, we like all three of these guys, but this is the one that we feel most comfortable projecting for the NHL because of his overall toolkit 
And that is, you know, his, his he's not a, a, a tall player, but he's very sturdy, very strong, certainly the strongest of the three, a physical player, a hard-nosed player. And then you also add the skill element to it, and that's what makes Ryan Leonard so special. We've got that video feature about Ryan Leonard where we talk a lot about the power elements of his game. Uh, you can see that on YouTube or on flowhockey.tv. Same with the Will Smith feature. And then we also had one on Oliver Moore, who's not scoring as many points as those three, but still making a significant impact as the number two center, the, the number two power play for Team USA, which now features more uh, with Iserman, Cole Iserman and James Hagens. Um, they have been dominant at this tournament as well. We've seen uh, Oliver Moore score a couple of really nice goals or, or score a really nice goal and then also you know, producing some points and playing a good two-way game. We got a feature about him as well that you should absolutely check out. Really excited to have um, some of those video features to add to our NHL draft coverage that we'll have here at Flow Hockey. But I mean, I, there's only so many ways I can try and contextualize for you the insanity of what these players are doing. But the two four nine line, uh, call nine one one if you're on the opposing defense because those guys are just absolutely dominant right now, seemingly unstoppable. But they have a uh, Three, at least three, you know, or a maximum of three more games to go before they're able to uh, really end this season on the highest possible note, which would be to end USA's gold medal drought, which dates back. Uh, now we're closing in on you know six, seven years now. Uh, the way things are going with them. Uh, before we move on from under eighteen World Championship talk, I did just want to quickly touch on some of the other teams. I mean, Canada had their really tough first game, but we've seen you know, some really good performances from them since they've had, they had their hands full with Slovakia, but they've had some more dominant showings as well. Macklin Celebrini uh, from the Chicago steel in the USHL as an underage in this tournament has continued to play at a high, high level. He's centering their top line uh, with Callum Ritchie and Matthew Wood. It's been an incredible line for them. Wood had a hat trick the other day. He was a guy that went really high up on NHL central scouting's list. I think we're talking about a guy that's probably no worse than a top 15 pick, probably a top 10 at this point. He has continued to show that. He has size. He has hockey sense. He's got the ability to score goals. His down low play has been very strong. That has all been evident here at this tournament, and that is why he's a, a guy that has such high uh, high upside for the NHL draft. Callum Ritchie led the team, led Team Canada at the Holinka Gretzky Cup this summer in scoring. He's leading Team Canada now at the Under-18 World Championship. Didn't have an amazing OHL season. Didn't blow anybody away with his production this year. But he is a very good young player. He has shown that on multiple international settings. He's always been a player that stands out in my personal live viewings of him. But the issue is, you know, what? how much do we weigh what he did internationally against his age peers versus what he did at the junior level? Um, and those are things that we still have to square. But he's played very well. There have been a couple of other players that have had kind of up and down tournaments. Carson Bjarnason, one of the top tier goalies for this draft, uh, has not necessarily performed at a high, high level here in this tournament. Um, he is a very interesting prospect. He has a lot of the tools. It just hasn't necessarily translated into significant success um, at, between the pipes for Team Canada. Also, you've got um, yeah, Lucas Dragasevic, who we've talked about as, as, as a potential defenseman in this draft that could go in the first round. He's kind of been up and down. He was actually a minus five against Sweden to start the tournament. 
He has scored some nice goals. He's showed an ability to move pucks. He's been on the top power play unit. So he does a lot of things that well, but I think that we want to see a little bit better defensive sense, a little bit better um, and more confident play in the D zone against his age peers. That hasn't necessarily been the case. I think we've seen some times where he's gotten a little bit lost. Um, and then Canada is getting a nice addition to their blue line. Um, they are going to get Etienne Moren, who uh, played uh, an outstanding QMJHL season, has a chance to go in the first round of this year's draft. He is joining Team Canada late because Quentin Burns got injured and will not be able to continue the tournament. So that allows Canada to add a new player. But Canada has done some really nice things. Sweden has been another big story on this in this in this whole tournament. They've been outstanding um, in terms of their point production, their 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 offense, but most impressively, they've only allowed, or they've they, three of their four games so far, far, they have not allowed a goal, and they're playing in the far tougher bracket of the two brackets. You know, they, so they had to, they shut out Canada. Um, you know, they they had their hands full against uh, Slovakia. You know, they they were good against the Czechs. They were good um, in uh, in their other games as well. And so th- against Germany, they had their hands full against Germany, but they still managed to, to get out with the win and also a shutout. They're led by Otto Stenberg, you know, who's been a really good player internationally. I think he's a guy that is probably a late first round pick at this point. Um, Axel Sandin Palika has been a, an outstanding pr- player for them as well. Um, you know, he is a tremendous defenseman in terms of his mobility and his and his, his hockey sense and, and his ability to move pucks as well. Um, does he have necessarily dynamic puck skills? I wouldn't say that, but he just makes a lot of the right reads and makes a lot of strong plays. He had five points against Canada um, in the opening game, and he's had one point since, but still, you, I like the way he's played in the D zone. I like the leadership he's shown. Um, this is a guy that played at the under-18 or the under-20s, uh, the World Juniors earlier this year. And then also Theo Lindstein and Tom Lander, two defensemen that are really moving up charts. I think that they are having the kind of tournament that really want you, you know, you want to move those guys up your board. You see a lot of the tools that they are able to possess. You know, it's just going to be a matter of, you know, trying to weigh that against what we saw the rest of the season. Uh, Willander is, is expected to come play for Boston university next year, which is a very interesting and intriguing thing considering they both have Celebrini and uh, will and Willander coming in next season, which will be amazing. Uh, I believe it's, Probably technically pronounced V-Lander, but uh, because this is America and we do that sort of thing, uh, it's uh, Willander for 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 just for familiarity purposes for the audience more than anything else. Uh, but those are guys that are you're absolutely going to have to be aware of for potential first rounders. It's not a good year for defensemen. Those guys have played really well. Um, I've liked Dalibor Dvorsky in this tournament. I've liked uh, um, Edward Schala in spurts um I, I i think he's been a little bit disappointing overall in terms of what he what he could be um but you know that those are players that, are, that have a lot to prove in this tournament so we'll talk a lot more about the other high high-end performances we'll talk about the winners of this tournament next week but a really really impressive group of players and before we move on i did get a couple of questions specific to the under 18 team and also uh, to this tournament that I thought I would answer now as opposed to at the end of the podcast, um, which is, you know, we've got a couple of questions from from some of our listeners and I'm always happy to uh, to answer them because, you know, I think that this is uh, th- this first one that we got from from our friend Tim here is uh, is a really interesting one because he asks, you know, who do you identify as the main driver? for that insane USNTDP line? Is it Perot? 
Uh, great question, and it's one that's not easily answered because I think that when you talk about that two four nine line, at various times in various games, you will see them kind of each one of them kind of takes turns, and it's not predetermined. It's just however whoever is going. I would say that Smith is the primary driver of the line. I think even you know Ryan Leonard when he was talking about Will Smith to me earlier in in, in some of our our feature stories. You know, he talked. He he basically defines Will Smith as a driver, and I do as well. And that's the reason why there are some doubts about him being able to play center at the NHL level. The reason that I think he can is because he's a play driver, um, and and he's he carries the puck a lot. He's he thrives when he has the puck on his stick, and when he does have it on his stick, he makes things happen. He's got good one on one skill. He's able to make defenders miss. Um, he's had some many many instances of that this year. But so can Gabe Perot and so can Ryan Leonard. At various points in various games, you will see one of those guys take over, and it's just kind of who's going. And whoever's going, that's the guy that's driving the line. Now, Perot certainly has the most points. I think the reason that he has the most points and one of the reasons that he's so good is that his ability to play off of the other guys is really impressive because you kind of lose him sometimes. And I don't mean that in like he gets invisible. It's it's that he's able to find the soft areas of the ice. He's able to get into the right places. And then Will Smith just finds him. And then he finds whoever he's got to do, whether it's the goal or whether it's the, the next thing. But I, I, to me, the primary driver of the line is Smith, but all three of them possess the ability to do it. And I think they have to do it that way. The reason they have so many points as a group is because they each have that capability and they can kind of trade off. And that makes them all very special players. All right, our next one comes from Eric, which uh, made me think a little bit. So I, I, I mean, that's a good thing. You got to think a little bit, right? So this one comes from our pal, Eric, and he's, he asks, is Oliver Moore significantly more or less interesting as a prospect in this year's draft compared to Na- Frank Nazar in last year's draft and why? And as much as I've read about the sim- they have they have similar profiles, Nazar had slightly better numbers and Moore has slightly better size. Well, you know, I think the big separating factor between these two players, and Frank Nazar, of course, was, was a first-round draft pick of the Chicago Blackhawks last year, high, you know, Basically, kind of in that similar, he was behind Logan Cooley, often playing center or wing on the second line for Team USA. He was pretty dynamic, um, and he made a lot of plays. I'd say that the separating factor between these two players is is, is Oliver Moore's speed. Now, Frank Nazar is quick. Um, he did have a significant injury that I think forced a little bit of a setback in terms of his skating ability, in terms of what we saw at the University of Michigan this year. I think he'll be fine there. But Oliver Moore's explosiveness as a skater, I mean, we're talking about the best skater in the draft here. He's, he's certainly um, one of the fastest players that we'll have in 2023. And the reason that he, that to me is part of what makes him a little bit more interesting um, in that, you know, I think that Nazar was the more dynamic offensive player, whereas Oliver Moore is the more well-rounded, kind of does a little bit of everything, does a lot of things that help you win. That's why I think he's a little bit more interesting in terms of, team fit but there's a lot to like about him there's certainly other things that 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 give you pause in terms of you know does he have the dynamic is his offense going to translate to the nhl level is there a dynamic dynamic enough skill set i think his hands are fine i think his shot is very good i think he sees the ice very well and he's only going to get better just because he's really still growing into his game with the speed that he has and the strength that he has. And those are two major separating factors for Oliver Moore. And why I think, you know, uh, Nazar went in the mid teens. I think that Moore probably ends up going in a similar ish range, if not a little bit higher potentially. I mean, there's always the chance he could sneak into the top 10 as well, 
because I think the consensus is starting to fall away from that group. So a lot there to, to think about, but really good question. And I think Oliver Moore is, is quite, you know, quite the prospect regardless. So very good stuff there uh, from Eric. And now we move on to our next topic because I'll tell you what, the USHL playoffs, it is a bit of a sprint at this point. The very beginning of the playoffs is a sprint as opposed to the marathon that you see in most other playoffs. Why is that? Best of three series. Now, the USHL season ended on Saturday, and we started our first round of the playoffs on Monday. One day rest for everybody. You know, the the teams are, there are certain teams hosting, um, and then you're playing all three games at one site. So, you know, Cedar Rapids goes to play Team USA. You have Des Moines going to play Lincoln. Um, you know, you have a Dubuque at Green Bay. So, you know, these are these are some of the first round series. So as we record this, the night that this actually this episode will be up um, will be the end of the first round. There were only two series that ended up going to a game three. The next round, same situation where you've got but but they're on that other side of of that are the four teams that had a buy out of the first round. That's the top two teams from each conference. So. Out west, it's Fargo and Waterloo. In the east, it's Chicago and Youngstown. And so those are the teams that are going to be playing. They're going to certainly be favored. They're going to have home ice advantage. And then once we get into out of that series, that's when we'll move into the conference finals and then the, the USHL Clark Cup finals. And that will be best of five series. But this is a really interesting time in the USHL because, you know, you get yourself in 12 of the 16 teams are going to get into the playoffs and they did this time around. And now you kind of have to sort things out that first round. You have two bad games. Your season is over. You know, you have a bad bounce here or there. Your season could be over. There's not a lot of room for error and it makes for some drama and it makes for some excitement as well. As we've seen, you know, Lincoln stars got a, a big goal from a Detroit Red Wings prospect, Brennan Ali. They end up sweeping Des Moines. They move on. Um, you know, we've, we've seen uh, some drama in terms of, you know, the U.S. and, and the U.S. National Under-17 team in the, at the national team program playing against Cedar Rapids. Cedar Rapids, big win the first night. USA comes back the next night. So that's just kind of the way that these playoffs are set up. So I did want to quickly touch on a couple of the players that I think you should be particularly aware of um, this postseason. And, and certainly there's more than a few. But what will be interesting is that Chicago Steel will start this postseason without Macklin Celebrini. He's not going to be there because he's with Team Canada at the World Under-18 Championship. So you're missing your the probable USHL MVP, certainly the Rookie of the Year, and certainly you know one of the best players that we've seen in this league in a long time. Now you've got to go into your first-round series without him because he's, he's at the Under-18 Worlds, and you've got a big series here coming up, um, you know, to be determined uh, as we await the winners of uh, those first round series. So the Chicago Steel will be without Macklin Celebrini. So what does that mean? That means there's a lot more pressure on Jaden Perron. Jaden Perron is the the one of the top draft prospects in the USHL this year. He's a highly skilled player. Um, he doesn't have tremendous size. He doesn't have the super dynamic skill set, but he's certainly skilled. And he, he, he makes defenders miss. He can get in. You know, I think he can do a lot of things well. Where he ultimately gets drafted, still to be determined. I think there are certainly teams that could consider him in, in the late first round. I think it's more likely he's an early day two pick. Uh, but, you know, playing well in the playoffs will help. And one of the things about it is, how does he do away from Macklin Celebrini? You know, he's been able to, to connect a lot with, with 
Perron this year. The two have fed off of each other. They've you know assisted on each other's goals quite often. So now it's got to be the Jaden Perron show. He's going to be a fascinating player to watch for the remainder of the playoffs. Over in Fargo, um, there's just a, a, a plethora of players, but I think the guy that's dr- driven a lot of the headlines and certainly has played at an exceptional rate this year is Cole Knubel. Another, you know, he's a multi-year draft eligible. Um, if you didn't see the video yet, his dad, Mike Knubel, who you certainly know from the National Hockey League, played over a hundred or played over a thousand games in the NHL. Um, in the final game of Fargo's regular season. They let Mike Knubel do the beer can races where they let the guys, it's kind of like the sausage races in Pittsburgh, but instead of that, it's beer cans. And he was rocking the Bud Light beer can uh, outfit and he destroyed the field, uh, took out all of his fellow Fargo Force dads, um, still didn't end up winning, but he took, he made sure that the truly uh, seltzer can got every bit of, uh, you know, the feel of what it must have felt like to play against Mike Knubel in the NHL because he was laying the lumber out there, let me tell you that much. And so you can go check that out on YouTube, seeing uh, Mike Knubel in a beer can demolition derby kind of situation. But as far as Cole goes, Cole is a, is, is a higher-end offensive talent. And so, if you know, he, he can be a guy that really drives things. Fargo won the Anderson Cup as the regular season champion. They managed to hold off Chicago at the very end of the season uh, to win the Anderson Cup, their first in franchise history. And, you know, this is a very interesting time for, for Fargo. You know, they, they lost their owner last year, Ace Brandt, who, who passed away tragically. Um, and, you know, they've been playing all, uh, just incredible. They've got a new head coach in Nick Oliver. You know, Kerry Eads has been uh, at the helm of that team for the last few years. He coached for a bit. Now he's in the management role. Uh, you know, former assistant coach at the University of North Dakota. They've put together a tremendous team. And certainly this is a team that I, I think is the team to beat um, in these playoffs. And so that's going to be very fascinating to watch. But another team to to keep a, a particularly close eye on, the Waterloo Blackhawks. They loaded up at the trade deadline. They brought in a guy like uh, like Miko Matika. You know, they, they made some ads to their blue line. They've got good goaltending. They've had it all season. They've got Sam Renzel, who's the first-round draft pick from the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, you know, they've, they have Gavin Thorson, who was a top player in uh, Minnesota high school hockey this year um, that, that was added to the mix on the roster as well. Um, you know, they've gotten good goaltending from, from Emmett Crotto and, and Jack Spicer, you know, the guys that, that have made some, some really big strides. And they're coached by Matt Smaby, who is a, a former NHL player. You know, he's really early in his coaching career. Um, but I really like the program that he's run there. I think that Waterloo had a really strong season. Um, fascinating to see kind of where they end up. But uh, hopefully we'll we'll get a, a better idea in the near future about what this Clark Cup playoff is actually going to look like. So after we record this tonight, the first round will conclude. The second round will continue uh, at the end of the week and through the weekend. So make sure you check that out on Flow Hockey. A lot of NHL draft prospects, a lot of names that we haven't discussed yet uh, to know, but we will talk about them more as the USHL playoffs progress. So stay tuned for that. Lots of great hockey action there. Speaking of playoff hockey, we're going to close things out and then we'll get to an uh, our Q&A getting back to the NHL draft coverage, but I quickly wanted to touch on the ECHL Kelly Cup playoffs, which are ongoing. The first round, every series is best of seven. We're going to try to crown a champion. But why bring it up on a prospect-centric podcast? 
Well, the very interesting thing about the ECHL playoffs this year is how the goaltending situation looks. Now, we've known for the last several years that the NHL continues to look to the ECHL to be a, a primary training ground for their young goaltending prospects, guys that are under NHL contract that are sent, instead of going to the AHL, are sent to the ECHL, and they're they're sent there to be in specific situations like this one where it is the playoffs, the pressure is on, you have to perform. Um, some of these guys are in their second ECHL season or, or maybe they played in the AHL last year or this is their first year of professional hockey. So there's a lot to be learned for these players. And what have we learned so far from a lot of these NHL contracted players? They've been really good. Sebastian Kosa, we've talked about him a million times on this podcast, and we'll talk about him more again because he he did start games one and three for Toledo. They're in a very unique position because they have two goalies under NHL contract. John, you know, Kosa is the is the golden goose. He is the top goaltending prospect for the Detroit Red Wings. First round draft pick. He plays games one and three. John Leatherman plays game two. He's the ECHL goaltender of the year. So, you know, how do you leave that guy on the bench? But you, this is kind of the way it works in, in down in the farm system. You have to have some mandates from that NHL team. You've made some agreements. And Detroit obviously wants to see Sebastian Kosa. Well, the good news for Toledo, through their first three games as we record this, Kosa was lights out against the Indy Fuel. He has, you know, the highest save percentage of any goalie that started at least two games um, in, this, uh, in this tournament so far or in this, this playoff so far. Um, so you really have to be excited about what the youngster has done. He's the youngest player has been, you know, until they started adding players out of junior this year, the youngest player in the, in the ECHL for most of this season. And this has been a great year of development for him. Same can be said for Trent Minor, Colorado Avalanche, seventh round draft pick under NHL contract playing for the Utah Grizzlies. Now the Utah Grizzlies, I think everybody left them for dead because they were playing the Idaho Steelheads who had the most wins of the season, 58 wins, a record in the ECHL. They won the regular season championship. First two games, Idaho is on home ice. First two games, they lose. And they lose mainly because Trent Minor was so good in net for the Grizzlies. He had a shutout in game one, was dynamically, just was a huge factor in game two. Now the series shifts back to Salt Lake City. They're going to play in Utah for three consecutive games. So now the Grizzlies are in a position to potentially eliminate the regular season champion and I cannot wait to see how that goes. And it's largely because of their NHL prospect in net in uh, in Trent Minor. Ryan Fanti, Edmonton Oilers, undrafted free agent, signed by the Oilers, sent to the Fort Wayne Comets, spent a lot of time there this year, had several viral moments. He scored a goal. He had a fight. There was an assist at some point earlier this year. We're calling it the Ron Hextall hat trick. Maybe we've got to call it the Ryan Fanti hat trick. Either way, Ryan Fanti has been not just a viral sensation, he's actually been progressing this season. I got a chance to see him up close live against the Iowa Heartlanders this year, and he was dominant in that game, looked like an NHL goalie. Well, he did that again recently at a 35-save shutout with his team on the ropes. And these are the situations when you put players in the ECHL that you want them to be in, and he goes out and has a shutout. Clay Stevenson of the South Carolina Stingrays, his team loses the first game. He makes his first professional playoff start the next night. 27 safe shutout against the defending Kelly Cup champions. This is what, you know, when we're, so we're watching these games and the Kelly Cup on its own, very exciting. I mean, playoff hockey, it doesn't matter the level. It doesn't matter where you're at. It is a thrill. 
But to see these young players come into a league, and the ECHL is not an easy league to play in. It is, it, it, you, you have to earn everything you get there, even if you're a top-tier prospect, because it is not easy. There's a lot of guys with a lot of experience and a lot of skill. They've performed at a super high level. It's been fascinating to watch. I think it's outstanding to see what these young goaltenders have done at the ECHL level. And, you know, as far as prospect viewings go, there's no better time to, to get into the ECHL than right now. If you're a fan of goaltending, there are so many young goalies in this league that are performing at an extremely high level. Um, and that doesn't even, you know, not even mentioning Adam Scheel, who had a great season and is a Dallas Stars prospect. You know, there are other Mikey DiPietro playing for Maine Mariners. I mean, there are a lot of names in this league uh, at the goaltending position in particular that you should absolutely keep an eye on. And those are just a few of them there. All right, we're going to move on and close out the show as we so often do with your questions. And I got a number of NHL draft questions that we're going to kind of go through a little bit rapid fire because I think that they're, you know, some of them, they're pretty easy to answer. And that includes this first one. uh, And this one comes from Jesse. Jesse asks, let's pretend that Matt Vaymichkov was in the CHL or the NCAA this season rather than the KHL situation he currently is. Is Fantilli still the number two pick, or does Mitchkov join the conversation for who goes after Bedard? It's something we've tried to answer throughout the year because, you know, we talk about Mitchkov a lot, and all of the, th- the reasons that he probably won't go number two, you can't just discount. You can't wave him away. The Russian issue is very much in play. But what I will say is, is if you take him out of the setting that he's currently in, you put him in um, the CHL or... NCAA hockey, I think that more than likely he would have a pretty historic level of production. He is an incredibly intelligent player. He's one of the smartest offensive players I've had a chance to track. But it's not a straight one-to-one where, you know, if he say, well, if he does that, then, you know, Fantilli's cast to number three. Don't necessarily think that's true. Mitchkov is a wing. Fantilli is a center. Fantilli has a size and speed advantage over Mitchkov. He has a grit factor. There's also the the, the physicality, and then on top of that, he's still an elite offensive player. Um, so he's got a bit of a different package. So I don't think that you could necessarily say if we put Mitchkov in and he has, you know, let's say he does replace Connor, Mc, uh, Connor Bedard's historic production this year in the WHL, then yes, we start thinking about it. But I think that's the kind of performance it would take to overtake a guy like Fantilli, who had a historic season in college hockey himself. Um, and then also has the size and the physicality and the other things that go with it. So I, you know, I think it's very difficult to, to project that out. I still think, you know, Fantilli would have a strong case, but no question. Mitchkov is more firmly entrenched in that discussion for number two, had he been in North America and we didn't have as many concerns as we do, not the least of which is the fact that he's under contract for a few more seasons. All right, our next question comes from Aaron, and this is team-specific. We don't mind those. Always interesting. Uh, he asked, curious, what does St. Louis What St. Louis does with its first three first-round picks this year? Their defense has a lot of money invested in 30-plus-year-old defensemen, wondering how you would use their draft capital. Well, it's always good to have more, right? It's always good to have a number of draft picks like they do. And, you know, I, I, think, I think that that's – you know, that, that puts you in a position to have options. So using that draft capital in, in a variety of ways, I mean, we think, you know, St. Louis has a chance with the, with the way the draft lottery is set up that they could potentially, you know, pick pretty high in this draft. 
you know, they're, they're, they're not, they don't have the best odds, but they, it's at least a possibility that they move up. So I think no matter what, you aren't doing anything with that number, you know, that pick with that falls within the top 10 or 12 um, or 13. So you don't do anything with that. Uh, you, you save that. But the, the next picks, those are the ones where you say, okay, well, what do we do? You know, you've got, it, it obviously depends on how the season ends for these other teams, but you, you know, they've got New York's first round pick um, and they've got Toronto's first round pick. And so having those options available to you, um, I think that those picks are the kind that you could package to potentially move up. There are picks that you can potentially use later in the draft. So you mentioned specifically the 30 year old defenseman. I think with that first pick that they have, it's unlikely that there's going to be, you know, unless maybe there's David Reinbacher and maybe you feel strongly enough about him to potentially take him early there. Um, and I think they'd be in a range where they would get him. And I still think that that's an acceptable pick of the defenseman. I do think David Reinbacher is the best. Um, I think he's got a lot of the tools that a team's covet. He's certainly one of those guys that that they're going to be looking at with that pick. As for the next two picks, I think that as you get further and further into the first round, um, you're you know you're maybe not feeling as strongly about some of those players. But I would say that you know there's going to be good picks there. Like if you look at that range, if they're late in that first round, I think about a guy like Gavin Brindley that checks a lot of the boxes of the kind of player that St. Louis likes in terms of his grit and his, his tenacity. Um, he's not a big guy, so they don't love that, but he's not a big guy, but he plays with some spark and some energy. That's a guy that should be available in the range of those other two picks. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with using all three of them. You know I mean? I think that every team that has multiple first rounders, they feel emboldened. We've seen it, you know, like a couple of years ago, New Jersey had three picks. They got really good players. And then they also decided, you know, they wanted to go take a swing with their third pick and went with Shahir Mukhamadulin. Um, and, you know, he's no longer part of their organization. He was traded, but that was an asset that they were able to use and maybe take a little bit more of a chance on. And the early returns, you know, it looks like they, they made a good gamble there, especially now that they were able to package him in a trade. So, you know, I think that for the Blues in particular, um, you know, they're in such a, a position of strength because I don't think they're very far away in terms of being able to reconstruct what they have um, around a core. But yeah, I mean, you know, you mentioned it. There's, there are definitely going to be some needs there that they're going to have to address. But, I, you know, I think they're going to have plenty of options and having options is a very, very good thing. All right. Our next question is from Kevin, and this is a little bit more... Um, inquisitive and and, uh, and it's good for the audience to hear as well um so chris says or kevin says chris do you know if grayson sachin represents the usa or canada internationally just wondering if he gets invited to one of the junior camps this summer assuming you would have to figure that out soon uh kevin good question so grayson sachin is a dual citizen he did play at the national team development program briefly um did leave to go play in the whl playing for seattle he had a really good draft season a very um solid all-around player uh but certainly especially great with the hands um really good hand skills makes a lot of different plays that that a lot of players can't um you know i would assume that that you know going through the ntdp tips the hand a little bit that he was leaning towards representing the united states i would imagine that he would be among the invites for the world junior camp this summer I couldn't tell you with definitive knowledge of that, um, but you know certainly he would be in the mix for that. 
Um, Canada, as far as we know, will not have a, uh, a world junior camp. Um, you know, so we don't necessarily know if he'll have to make that decision. Technically he doesn't, you know, the, the double IHF would potentially get involved if say he wanted to play for one of these countries and it didn't fit the rules properly. You're supposed to be in the same country for two years. I think he fits all that criteria in terms of his ability to play for team USA, less certain than he would for Canada. Um, but interestingly enough, his younger brother, Lucas, uh, also just uh, signed a tender with the Chicago Steel. So he's at least for now going the U.S. route um, out of Shattuck St. Mary's. All right, we got ourselves another USHL related question here. And this one comes from User, a very creative name. Um, user says, where do you see Jacob Fowler and Michael Hrabel being selected in the draft. So two USHL goaltenders, Fowler for the Youngstown Phantoms, Robble for the Omaha Lancers. He's currently playing at the under-18 Worlds for the Czechs um, and will have to go toe-to-toe with the U.S., who actually had a tremendous game with at the beginning of the season that generated so much draft buzz for him. But uh, really interesting. So this is a tough one to answer because I think knowing where the goalies are going to go this year is anybody's guess. There are absolutely some goalies that could potentially go in the first round. Um, It's more likely they're early day two picks. And I would say Harabal is more of these two that we're talking about. (coughs) Excuse me. Of these two that we're talking about, Harabal is more likely to go in the first round of the two. But not necessarily. I don't think it's it's a lock that he would. Um, I think in terms of tools, he has the six foot six frame. He has the athleticism. He's got the technique. There's a lot of different things there that he's very good at. Um, you know, he is committed currently to the UMass, uh, which has had a, a good success with their goaltenders in in recent years. So I think he's of those two. He has the the highest potential to go. He'll he'll be the higher selected of the two, almost certainly. Jacob Fowler, I think, more likely is a mid-round pick. I think it's probably in the third to fourth round range for him, Um, even though he's had a really great season, has done just about everything right, um, has done uh, so much well. Uh, He's headed to Boston College next year as part of one of the best recruiting class, probably the best recruiting class. It it is the best recruiting class in the country, um, joining Will Smith and Ryan Leonard and and, uh, Gabe Perot there. So, So he's got a lot there. Uh, Jacob Fowler has has plenty of upside. Um, you know, he's he's played extremely well. I think if he has a big postseason in the USHL, you might even see him sneak into that second round range. But he is absolutely among the goaltenders that will be drafted and, and probably early ish on day two. And then our final question is also a goaltending question. And this one comes from Jake. And he asks, What are your thoughts on Hampton Lukinski? Very few high school goalies get drafted. Do you think he can be one of them? That's a tough one to answer. He's currently playing for uh, Team USA at the World Under 18s. He's basically their number three goalie right now, but he did play most of the season at, or pretty much all the season at World High School. Um, I thought he was really good there. I did see some of his games. I was very interested in watching World for for Jason Chagabe and Carson Pilgrim, who's a guy for next year that'll be interesting. Um, but he was really good in general. Um, and the thing is, is will he get drafted? It's a, it's really hard to predict if these high school goaltenders will get drafted. I think if I were a team, I would be wanting to see more of him at a different level. I would want to see a little bit more. And, you know, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable using a draft pick on a player that I've seen primarily at a lower level, um, not facing the quality of shots that junior goaltenders face. 
I think that would be a, a big concern of mine um, in drafting him. So I don't necessarily think that he will be drafted, but I don't think that he's a guy that will be off NHL radars in, in the end. Um, so keep an eye on him. He's going to be an interesting player. Uh, I just don't necessarily see a path towards drafting him, getting him drafted this year. But NHL teams always do things that surprise me at the draft, so you never really know. All right, so thanks, everybody, for all of your questions. I really appreciate it, and thanks, everybody, for listening as well. We, we always have a lot of fun with these shows. I hope that you're getting a little bit out of it. We're going to be uh, doing some experimentation in the coming weeks with different format things, and I'm going to be trying a couple of new segments out. Uh, hopefully, you guys like them. You'll certainly let me know if you don't, but uh, please do uh, reach out, and if you can, leave a kind rating and review for the podcast. Make sure you downloaded this, subscribe to it, do whatever you have to do to get your hands on this podcast and also tell a friend if you would, because uh, the more the merrier and we'll get more questions and we'll get better content in the end. So hopefully that all uh, works out for you guys. Thanks a lot for joining me this week. A huge thanks to Nico for producing today. Thanks to all of our questioners for sending them in. We will have more Talking Hockey Sense next week. Going to get into the USHL playoffs, the under 18 worlds and an NHL draft lottery preview. So much more to get to as we move on. But that is going to do it for this week's episode. My name is Chris Peters. This is Talking Hockey Sense. We'll catch you next time.